This morning we are beginning our Jeremiah series, Fruitfulness in Drought. Jeremiah chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to start at the beginning. That seemed easiest. Uh, our memory verse this quarter, it's, uh, it's lengthy, so it's going to take some work. We've got 13 weeks. Y'all doing a great job. We'll, we'll, we'll commit it to memory. Say it with me. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. Jeremiah 17, 7, and 8. It's a great, great verse for us to, to go to from our memory verse about producing fruit in John. The series theme is called Fruitfulness in Drought. Jeremiah preached in drought. We're going to talk a little bit about his, his background this morning, um, what was going on around him. But big picture, he preached in a drought. As far as we know, nobody changed their minds because of his preaching. Preached for 35, 40 years without a single convert. That's discouraging, y'all. That is incredibly discouraging. Uh, he was met with either antagonism or apathy. Those were the things that he got. People who were mad didn't like his message, didn't like him, so they attacked him. Boy, if they had had social media back then, have mercy. Or apathy, just didn't do anything. Well, you can say it, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And we, saw the, we see the results of Babylon coming in and taking over. Yet he was fruitful. Even in that drought, we, we look and we say, well, no converts, he didn't, he didn't preach well enough, he didn't do right, he didn't do what he was supposed to. No, he was obedient, therefore he was fruitful. He preached the messages he was told to preach. He did the things he was told to do. He was fruitful because of his obedience. He was fruitful because his message rings through the ages. We're still preaching Jeremiah. Because it means something to us today, too. His messages were timeless. Absolutely timeless. And they were what we need to hear today. And he was fruitful because he preached Jesus. He doesn't talk about Jesus. Yeah, somewhere around chapter 36, I think, 38. Talking about a, someone who will bring a covenant that will be written not on paper, but on people's hearts. A new covenant? That's Jesus, y'all. And Jeremiah was preaching him. So Jeremiah was fruitful in drought. Believers, we can be fruitful in drought. First Baptist Sulphur, we can be fruitful in drought. It begins with the calling here of Jeremiah. You, individually, are no accident. No matter what your mom and daddy told you, you're not an accident. Your presence at this time in history is no accident. 
the, the, the fact that you are the age you are today is not accidental. Your place in your family, birth order, older, younger than a spouse, no spouse, kids, no kids, you are not an accident in your family. Your gifting as a member of this church body at this time in her history is no accident. You are here in this church right now for the gifting that the Holy Spirit gave you at the moment of your salvation to be used in this time, in this season of our church. God pinpointed this moment for you. You being here this morning is no accident. It's not because of your work schedule or because you scheduled vacation for next week, but because God had a message for you today. As a believer, you have a call on your life that is for this place at this time with this church family. You are set apart, chosen, appointed. Now what are you going to do with it? Our big idea this morning... I've actually already said it in multiple ways. God put you in this place and time to fulfill his mission through your faithfulness and obedience. Is that not in the next slide? Oh, there it is. Okay. God put you in this place and time to fulfill his mission through your faithfulness and obedience. That's what we're going to see as we work through the message. Our focal passage is verses... Four and five, but we're going to talk about the whole chapter this morning, and we're going to read the whole chapter this morning because one thing you can never have too much of in a church service is scripture. Jeremiah chapter one. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests living in Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. It also came throughout the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But I protested. Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. Then the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. Then the word of the Lord came to me asking, What do you see, Jeremiah? I replied, I see a branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I watch over my word to accomplish it. Again, the word of the Lord came to me asking, What do you see? And I replied, I see a boiling pot, its lip tilted from the north to the south. 
Then the Lord said to me, Disaster will be poured out from the north on all who live in the land. Indeed, I'm about to summon all the clans and kingdoms of the north. This is the Lord's declaration. They will come, and each king will set up his throne at the entrance to Jerusalem's gates. They will attack all her surrounding walls and all the other cities of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments against them for all the evil they did when they abandoned me to burn incense to other gods and to worship the works of their own hands. Now get ready. Stand up and tell them everything that I command you. Do not be intimidated by them or I will cause you to cower before them. Today I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the population. They will fight against you, but never prevail over you, since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. That's a lot. Now, we aren't going to focus this morning on much of the message in the two visions that Jeremiah got in verses 11 through 16, 11 through 19, really, he tells him what he's going to be doing. We're, we're going to talk about that over the next 13 weeks, uh, or the next 12 weeks. Uh, we're, going, we're going to get a lot of Jeremiah's message, so we're not spending that much time on it today. Today, title of the message is, Called to a Moment. Now, we aren't called to a single moment, but we are called to the moment we're in. Jeremiah was called to the moment he was in. Number one this morning, as we look at this passage, we see that God sets the time. God sets the time. What was Jeremiah born into? He was born around 650 B.C., uh, it's about the same time as King Josiah. King, he, so he and King Josiah were about the same age, maybe a couple of years difference. We, we don't really know exactly. As specific as they are with some dates, as far as describing them, like in verse 1, uh, the 13th year of the reign of, of Josiah, we know then that Josiah was 8 plus 13 years old. Um, 22? 21? We know he is about 21 when, uh, uh, I couldn't do the math that quickly, all you won't laugh at me. Um, we know that that's when Jeremiah was called, when he was that age, because we know Josiah was eight. We just don't know when Josiah was eight. We don't know what year he became king. We know what year it says, but they kept years weird, and they kept king's reigns weird. I mean, they, they timed it the way they discussed it, so... We're not going to get into all that. So we're just going to say about 650 B.C. Well, what was going on in the rest of the world? We're in the Bronze Age of the Middle East. We're in the Iron Age of England, Britain, uh, the British Isles at this point. Mayan cities are getting their start in Central America in 650. The, the big square pyramids that, that we see in uh, Guatemala and uh, the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico, they, they were just, some of the major cities were just beginning to be uh, uh, founded. People were moving in to that area in 650. The, the Zhu dynasty was going on in China. We never think about what was going on. When we read the Bible and the, the history of that moment, we don't think about the rest of the world, but there was a dynasty going on in China. They were over there figuring stuff out. 
There was actually some uh, cold, wet periods in Europe. Uh, uh, the, the climate changed at that time and was pushing some Scandinavian Nordic cultures across the water into uh, Denmark and continental Europe. So there were folks that were migrating down into Europe at that time. Uh, around this time, the earliest recorded solar eclipse by the Greeks, first time they wrote down, hey, we saw an eclipse. The Celts were moving into Britain, into, onto the British island. That's world history. In Jeremiah's neighborhood and what made the most difference in his life, Assyria was on the decline. And pretty rapidly, things were changing uh, for Assyria. The powerful kings were dying. They were fighting over, uh, always fighting over who's next. And Assyria is in decline. Egypt wants another shot at being a world power. So they're going to take some opportunities and they're going to fail because they're going to come up against Babylon. Babylon is currently rising at the moment of Jeremiah's birth. At the moment of his birth... Judah is a vassal state to Assyria, so they're paying tribute. They've got their own king, but they've got to make sure they keep Assyria happy. But Assyria is declining, so Judah's going to fight back. Egypt's going to fight Assyria. Judah's going to join with Egypt for a little while, and then, oh no, we're going to go back over here. And they can't, well, and they just get basically ripped apart by the end of all the fighting. During the reign of Manasseh, is when he was born. Josiah's grandfather. Manasseh was the most evil king Judah ever had. Manasseh actually sacrificed one of his own children to pagan gods. Uh, if, if there was something evil, awful, and pagan, he brought it into the temple. He did not care. Uh, it was whatever was politically expedient. And it worked. Geopolitically, he reigned for about 55 years. Pure evil, and he's actually the reason that Judah went into captivity. It will be Manasseh that gets referenced now from here on out. The evil of Manasseh. Uh, he was a child. Jeremiah was a child during Ammon's reign, who was Josiah's daddy. Ammon only reigned for two years, and there was some political intrigue inside the palace. They killed him, got rid of him, assassinated him, and made Josiah an eight-year-old king. Then some 20 years later-ish, uh, Jeremiah gets called to be a prophet. In this time, Josiah is making all these reforms. He's a good king. He has been raised properly by his, uh, the, the priests, or actually the ones that, that raised him, his mother and the, the priests made sure he was raised properly. And he begins to restore the temple and restore temple worship. And they find, tucked off in, in the corner somewhere in the temple, some version of the book of Deuteronomy. And they have not read the law in years. They haven't had a copy of it for whatever reason. No, they didn't want it primarily. And the evil kings had made sure to suppress it. They read the law. They go, um, we ain't even close, y'all. 
And he makes all these wonderful reforms. And Israel, Judah rather, begins to turn back uh, to, to God. Things were horrible when Jeremiah was born. Things are good and getting better when he was called to the ministry. But did you hear the message he's going to be giving? That's not a message you get when everything looks fine. You're going to, be, you're going to preach the destruction and, and, and what is the, uh, what were his messages? Uh, to uproot and he, he will uproot and tear down, destroy and demolish. God, what are you talking about? Josiah is making reforms. Things are, things are going along pretty good right now. It's God's time. God is calling him now because he knows that Jeremiah's ministry will run through horrible kings, horrible decline, horrible results, and horrible destruction. Long before any of that is happening or even on the horizon, because Judah is kicking off Assyria, and they're not going to be uh, bound to another country anymore, they think. And God knows the time, and he raises up the next prophet of Israel. His ministry was timed perfectly, and God planned for all of that in Jeremiah's call to ministry. Number two, God issues the call. God sets the time, and God issues the call. The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you. I set you apart. I appointed you. Before I formed you, while you were in the womb but not born yet, and now you are appointed. God had issued the call. God had set Jeremiah up. No part of Jeremiah's life was accidental. Nothing that came up not his place of birth, not who he was born to. None of that was pure happenstance. God knew what he was going to do with Jeremiah all along. Before he formed him in the womb, he had been chosen. While he was growing in mama's belly, he was set apart. And then when he came and grew and was young, mid to late teens, around 20, whatever, God called him. Now, Jeremiah was born into a priestly family. So it is very likely that he got the right kind of raising. And Josiah had been working on these reforms for quite a few years. He had been a good king from the age of eight because he had good advisors. He had good people who were uh, making sure the country ran appropriately and God's laws were followed as best they remembered and knew them. So that's what Jeremiah grew up in. That's the type of uh, country he grew up in. So he was born into this priestly family. He had the, the trappings of belief. But then he was uh, called specifically and specially and directly to be a prophet. Jeremiah, there's more. Got more for you. You are chosen, set apart, and appointed. You have a special job to do. 
We all have a special job to do. Each one of us is chosen, set apart, and appointed. None of us are accidents. We all have a job to do in God's kingdom. Jeremiah's was very specific. Yours is very specific. God also knew what was coming. God was already aware of the problems. Number three, God handles the protest. But I protested. As Etta pointed out in our Connect group this morning, a protest is not, hmm, I don't know about that. No, protest, you're marching with signs. Heck no, we won't go. Or whatever, you know, um, down with being a prophet. Uh, you know, it, it, it carries a great deal of passion in that word. He protested. He didn't just kind of, I don't know. It was, no, I can't. Oh, no, Lord God. Oh, uh-uh. Look, I, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. I'm this, I'm that. Um, anybody hear Moses in the background? I don't know how to speak. I have a speech impediment. I, they, they don't work. <laughs> the, the, the excuses, the reasons, the protests don't work. God can handle them. Number one, God can handle them, meaning he can take your protests. I don't recommend it. It's a waste of time, it's a waste of breath, and it is an obvious uh, lack of faith. But he can handle them. He's big enough to take our... But God, sometimes our questions are just trying to clarify things in our head. Most of the time, though, it's like, I don't want to do this. There was a song, the only reason I know this song is because there used to be a show called Putting on the Hits. Anybody remember that show? I was a kid. They, they, they would lip sync to, to songs. And there was a, a song from, I think, the 50s, Please, Mr. Custer, I Don't Want to Go. Is this ringing a bell for anybody? Anybody know that song? There's an engine out there waiting to take my hair. And I don't want to end up dead or gone. Uh, it's not a great song. It's 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 probably yeah. It probably should have been left in the in, in in history and not brought up. But that's that. Sadly, that's what I think of because of my childhood and the you know stuff. Um, please, Mister God, I don't want to go. There are heathens out there. There are aggravants out there. There are those who will no try to kill me out there, and I don't want to end up dead or gone. That's Jeremiah's protest. God can handle it. God can also handle it in that he's got all the problems worked out. He knows the things that are going to happen. Yes, Jeremiah, I know they're going to try to kill you. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you, they're going to come against you but you're going to be a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land. What do those things do? What do those symbolize? Defense. Why do you need defense? Because you're getting attacked. 
And what do those walls and pillars uh, and cities get because of the attacks? Wounds, marks, scuffs, breaks. You're going to look rough after this, Jeremiah. I know. That's why I don't want to do it. Let me tell you what you need from me, God says. I, I, I can't do it, but the Lord said to me, don't say I'm only a youth. Don't, uh, you'll go to everyone I send you. Don't be afraid of anyone. Because all the reasons for his protest are just batted away. I can't, boop. But I'm going to, boop. I used to play tennis-ish. I mean, like, with my family, play tennis. Um... And, and my brother, who's six years older than me, uh, always liked to get his big overhead slam and nail me with it. And, and if it hit me, that'd be even better. Um, and I used to do this in ping pong when I should have been in class in college. Um, you know, you get the one that's just, they, they are letting you have it. The most aggravating thing you can do to someone who is putting everything they have into that, that uh, overhead slam in tennis or that, that fancy little spin move with the ping pong paddle is just lob it back. They get so mad. Eventually, they get mad enough to mess up. They, they, they're just furious that you're not hitting it back because what they want you to do is miss it and not be able to handle, the, handle their power. That's what God's doing to Jeremiah's protests. But God, you, but God, you know, well, yeah, I can't because, and eventually you just go, I can't win against this. God can handle all your concerns. All that's necessary for you to know, all that was necessary for Jeremiah to know, is that God will be there. I'm not going to leave you, Jeremiah. I, I, you, you will never be alone in this. Yes, fortified city, bronze wall, iron pillar, you're going to get beat up. Literally and figuratively. But I will always be there. This is your message. This is your job. You are going to be the, uh, the, the, the herald of decline and destruction. And that's what I've called you to. And they're going to hate you for it. But my message is my message. And that's what you need to be about. God will also give what he needs. And number four, God provides the resources. So God has lobbed, he's, he's batted away all these protests. He says, I will be with you the entire time. Don't be afraid. Verse nine, then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. If I remember correctly, when we read through this chapter, God only gives Jeremiah two things. His presence 
and his words. That's all we need. That's it. I'm sure Jeremiah was thinking, but Lord, okay, so here's my list of, of, of things that I'm going to need. I'm going to need lots of paper. Um, I'm going to need a, a secretary. I'm going to need, uh, and he had, he had Baruch. He, he had a, so, but I'm going to need all these things. And, and, and God's saying, no, no, Jeremiah, you know what you need? Me and my words. Me and, and what I tell you to say. And, and basically, my word is me. So really, all I'm telling you is you need me and me. Me and God is a majority. Uh, me and God, I know it's poor grammar. Me and God is, 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 is invincible. Jeremiah, that's all you need. Follower of Jesus, that's all you need. First Baptist sulfur, that's all we need. God and his word, his presence and his word. And if we have those things, we have all we need. We like air conditioning and cushy chairs, but we only need God's presence and his word. We like buildings and other parts, other tools that make ministry uh, simpler in a lot of ways, but sometimes more complicated. But all we need is God and his word. He tells Jeremiah, or rather he, he empowers Jeremiah to do everything he was told to do by simply receiving God's word. Where is Jeremiah's power to be a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall? God's word. When Jesus says uh, in, in Revelation that, uh, well, nope, just, apparently my brain just rebooted, so let me... <laughs> Let me back up. Um, I can think of the second half of the verse. Can't think of the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What's the first half of that verse? And was that in Revelation? Thank you. Sometimes y'all aren't any help. I'm asking a question here. I'm drowning. Save me. Oh, thank you. The gates of hell not prevailing. It's okay. The gates of hell not prevailing. That's because, with God's word, the church is a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze gate, a bronze wall. Jeremiah, the gates of hell, church, the gates of hell will not prevail because you are empowered with what? With his word. Now, we jump to 1 John, which we just studied 14 weeks ago. And we find that God's word is Jesus. We are fortified with Jesus. All the cereals from the 70s had fortified with 13 vitamins and minerals. We are fortified with Jesus. That's what we need. We are empowered to do anything God tells us to do because we have the word. And that's all we need. But Michael, we need this and this. Those things might make it easier. 
They're not needs. What did God say to Jeremiah? What resources did God provide? Himself and his word. And then gave him the job. I've appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to to demolish, to build and to plant. So if if God sets the time and, and God issues the call and God handles the protest and then God provides the resources, then therefore God, number five, is also going to define the purpose if, if God has set the time, if he has, uh, if he has issued the call, he's handled all your protests, and he's given you all the resources, then we don't get to, then Jeremiah did not get to, then suddenly take all of that and say, thanks God, I got it from here, I'll do with this as I wish. No, God had a purpose. God did not fortify Jeremiah for his own things, for his own uh, uh, goals, for his own pleasure, for his own power. He gave Jeremiah these things to do his purpose. Verses 11 through 16, we see two visions. An, olive, uh, an almond branch and then destruction poured out of a, of a pot. For the next 40 years, Jeremiah is going to f- fulfill the purpose of God. The fortified city, the iron pillar, the bronze wall is going to take all the hits. At the end of Jeremiah, the the book, and at the end of, as far as we know, Jeremiah himself. We don't know what happened to him, how he died, when he died, or anything. He gets basically kidnapped and taken to, to Egypt. Just basically disappears. Because for 40 years he was faithful to the purpose of God. And we're going to read about all the things that he went through and what was done to him. But it was that 40 years of purpose. The plan from the womb. God's purpose. Folks, we can get all kinds of distracted with our ideas of purpose. What we think is necessary, what we think is next, what we think is important, what we think is preferential. And God is saying, I have a purpose for you. I have a purpose for your family. I have a purpose for your church. I have a purpose for the church because it is my church. And you, as a follower of me, are mine, Jesus says. And so we see these two visions. The first, the almond blossom, almond branch that he saw. Just in English, if you don't have a note in your Bible, it's, it's kind of hard to see exactly what's going on here. The almond tree was usually the first to bloom. Sometimes it would bloom even in the winter. 
but not, it wouldn't even wait till spring. It, it would bloom early in the winter. But when the almond tree bloomed, woohoo, we're getting close. So he's saying that one, God will show up early. Or God will show up and be a blessing. Or it will be a, a time of rejoicing when you see him. The other thing about the almond tree, or the almond blossoms, is the suddenness with which they would appear. In some cases, blooms could appear literally overnight, and they would appear often before the leaves even grew out. The blooms would show up, and then it would leaf. It was just one day, suddenly, the almond trees bloomed. Like they didn't have they were bare yesterday today they have blooms because God shows up suddenly surprisingly at times but all of a sudden he's there but the main point of this this vision is a little thing we get in Hebrew that we don't hear in English almond branch and watch over that word, the word for almond branch, and the word for watch over, sound almost the same. The word for um, almond branch is shaked, and the word for watch over is soked. So just a little bit, S to S-H, A to O, and the ending's the same, and you get these two words. So when when God tells Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah says, it's a, it's a mnemonic device. It's a way to remember. Um, as an example, this is probably a bad one because most of mine are. When I was taking Hebrew in seminary, we had to learn vocabulary just like you do in any language. And I don't remember much. Of, of my Hebrew vocabulary. But there is one word that I remember. The word for morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, like, you know, dawn, first part of the day, is boker. You know why I know the word for morning is boker? Because I would sing the song, morning has boker, bright as the sun. It's morning is broken. Right? That's the song, morning has broken, bright as the sunshine, or something like that. It didn't matter to me what the next part of the phrase was, because I remembered morning has bokeh. And to this day, however many years it's been since seminary, I remember morning is bokeh. That is what Jeremiah or God is doing with Jeremiah. He's saying to him, you see a shoked? That's because I, uh, I soked. You, you see shakhed, you see an almond branch, that's because I watch over. He actually says, I watch over my word to accomplish it. My word is coming early. My word is coming suddenly when you least expect it. And my word is certain because I am watching over it just like it sounds like when you talk about an almond branch. I am watching over my word to make sure it comes to pass. Jeremiah, when you get up to preach, when you tell these people Babylon's coming, we're going to be destroyed, you better surrender. That ain't a good patriotic thing to say, by the way. But that's what he was telling them. Surrender. Y'all will be better for us. 
If we give in to Babylon now, join with them because they're coming anyway. This is the Lord's declaration. You hate your country, Jeremiah. No, I love God, which is actually more important. And actually, I love my country. And because I love God and I love my country, I'm going to tell my country the truth, not what they want to hear for political reasons. God will watch over his word to make sure it is accomplished. And then the second vision that we're not going to talk about hardly at all because he talks about it a lot in the next 13, 12 weeks, God's bringing judgment. And for 40 years, Jeremiah will preach these things as he is commanded. His purpose will be God's purpose. He will, to use New Testament phraseology, take up his cross and follow. He will speak when he is told to speak. He'll shut up when he's told to shut up. He will say what he is told to say. He will not have a purpose for his, of his own. He will live God's purpose for his life. And he has been prepared for this from birth. His upbringing contributed to it, and now he was ready, not because he thought he was ready, not because he had gone through all the necessary testing and preparation and training, but because God said he was ready. And number six, God gives the command. Verses 17 through 19. He's issued the call. He, he set the time. He issued the call. He's, he's batting away the protests. He's letting them know that the resources that he needs, himself and his word, will be there. He's given him the purpose. This is why you exist. This is what you're going to do. Now it's time. He gives the command. Verse 17. Now get ready. Stand up and tell them everything that I command you. Do not be intimidated by them. Y'all, ain't no lie. Preachers get intimidated. I didn't like that message. Well, maybe I shouldn't have, you know. Well, you, shouldn't, you should preach this, or you use too much scripture here, or you didn't do this right, or whatever. Don't be intimidated by them, Jeremiah, or I will cause you to cower before them. Their, their intimidation tactics will work if you don't trust me. Today, I am the one who has made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land Everybody is going to be against you. You are against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the population. There is nobody that Jeremiah is going to please with his messages. Start at the top. All the politics is going to hate you. All the church is going to hate you. And everybody in the country is going to hate you. Have fun. That's not a fun assignment. That sounds a lot like take up your cross and follow me unless you're willing to leave mother and father, husband and wife, children, even your own life. You're not worthy to be called my disciple. That sounds harsh. It is. It doesn't just sound harsh. It is harsh. And God says, but I'm going to be with you. You're a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls. They will fight against you, but never prevail 
over you. Since you'll have all the smart aleck comments to make back to them. Oh, no, that's not what it says. I'm sorry. Since you'll have all the money you need to buy the... Nope. That's not there either. Since you'll just be able to leave and go to another country and try to preach to them, maybe they'll like you. No. No. Since I am with you to rescue you. I'll be there. It's going to be hard. It's going to be awful. They're going to hate you, but you know what? Y'all, the world hates believers. You've got some unbelieving friends. I I realize that. It's a broad, general statement. But individuals may not, but the world is against God. The world is against Christ and His church. And you are Christ's and His church. So the world is against you. But now is the time to get started. Get ready. Stand up. When the command is given, it's no time for debating, deliberating, or delaying. We can spend all the time planning, all the time thinking about the what-ifs, and we never get the job done. We never get the job started. You've had your protest. I've told you what your resources are. I'm with you now. Get ready, stand up, and tell them. Jeremiah has a job to do. It will not be easy, nor will it go well, but God will give him the strength. And he would not be done until God said he was done. It didn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what the world says about the church, thinks about the church, how the world tries to persecute the church. We're not done as the church until God says we're done. All the freedoms, none of the freedoms. Doesn't matter. If God's not done with us, we're not done. Persecution, execution. Doesn't matter. If God's not done with us, we're not done. Jeremiah's message would go out until God said, Come on, boy. Time to go home. And until that moment, he would not be stopped. They're going to come against you. It won't matter because I will be there to rescue you. God would be with him. I really believe that our radical Bible study can be as transformative for our church as experiencing God has been. I don't know how often you realize you're quoting experiencing God when you talk to me. You probably do. But that has entered our vernacular as a church. Do the same thing, last thing God calls you to do until he tells you to do something different. That's it's Bible, but we, we got that repetitiously in experiencing God. That changed the tra- trajectory of countless churches. I really believe Radical will do the same thing. I believe it can. If we will hear and obey when God says, get ready and stand up. 
But we don't start that for a few weeks, July 2nd, not July 3rd. Until then, you know what we have to do? Get ready and stand up. Now is our time, church, to get ready and stand up. Not when we get the next Bible study started. Not when we get the next chapter of Jeremiah read. Uh, read not when we get the next event going. Not, uh, not after VBS is over so we can think about it. Not after anything else happens or before anything else happens. But now God says, get up or, or get ready and stand up. Because our calling came 2,000 years ago. Our purpose was provided 2,000 years ago. God has issued the call. You follow Jesus because you've been called to. Come and I will make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. Ain't a none of you that ever came to Jesus for salvation came without the Holy Spirit drawing you saying, Come and you came. So the call's been issued. God has taken care of your protest. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't know enough. I don't have enough. We don't do enough. We do too much. He doesn't. She doesn't. Doesn't matter. God called you to mission. You have the resources you need. He's provided everything. You have what you need. Him and his word. I don't know his word. Well, Whose fault is that? It ain't because you don't have it. And if you don't have it, reach under the seat in front of you and take one home. Now you got it. Learn it. Because all you need is it and him. God has defined your purpose in life. Believer, make disciples. Nothing else. Oh, he will use your talents, your jobs, all those sorts of things as tools in disciple-making. But he didn't call y'all to be mechanics or plant workers or nurses or teachers or, or whatever. He didn't call you to be musicians and, and he didn't give you talents for art and woodworking and all these other things. To, for that to be the goal or the end, he called you to make disciples. Period. Amen. 